Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Ali Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Okay, welcome back to the ladies' room. We're here. We. Like my most enthusiastic. <laughs> we. We. <laughs> <laughs> and we have do we have to give the um displaced placed update like I'm still displaced but now you're placed yeah I moved yesterday and I could actually talk to you from my own bathroom for the first time in like three months your own ladies room <laughs> and you've been my taunting me with room. your you've been taunting me with your google fi- your google fiber which makes me sad I know it's really, I, so I know nothing of course about like anything. I mean, I, when we first moved to Montana, like years ago, we had point like point to point satellite. And that was like really a big deal and like super exciting. So that's like, I'm like, well, at least it's not satellite internet. It works. It works loads most of the time. But when I said, you know, I can get Google fiber or I can get, you know, this other thing. And you were like, Google Fiber. Wanted it because you, because you were like a little jealous. That's why it's pearls before swine. It's pearls before swine. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. But part of it is, it's not even because I don't think I even need internet as fast as yours because I don't do online gaming or anything. But I'm paying so much. I switched over to the Comcast. We don't want to make another Comcast rant one, but I switched over to the Comcast (laughs) business plan. Because I thought that was the only way to get faster speeds. But then it turned out, no, I could have, I'm sitting here at my mother-in-law's place and she has download speeds as fast as I do on my Comcast business plan. And there's no way she's paying 200 bucks a month. I, and re- the, is it a different area though? Cause I thought we that live was around the, the corner like, from her. across the street. Oh, we live around the corner ridiculous. from her. Yeah. yeah. And also it was to try to make, you remember it was to try to make my zoom better. And then it turned yeah, out and you were had to do it the, for your coaching thing you're on. Yeah. Yeah. And it just <sighs> turned out we were overloaded in my area and Comcast just needed to build another whatever. So now I'm in a three-year contract. Well, it's only two years left on the contract now, but that means the price goes up every year because those fuckers. But yeah, anyway, that's super, super maddening. So right now I'm using my new internet with 800 and something upload and downloads. That's crazy. That's crazy fast. <laughs> I do have better upload than Bobcha. Bobcha has right. reasonable internet, but her upload and uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I was wondering if you were going to try to make me upload the podcast now, but I'm really happy to hear that hasn't crossed your mind. No, I would not leave you to edit the, and upload the podcast. It takes me 10 minutes. I'm very glad because it would be really hard for me right now. Yeah. Cause part of the displacement is my house is all torn apart. So I don't even have my internet now. So if I want to use my computer, I have to tether my phone, (laughs) which is still better than a point to point satellite. (laughs) It's it's awesome. So I'm here. John is still in Montana, but it's kind of sweet because he used for anybody who doesn't know, he used to be a theater teacher and a lot of movies are shot in Montana. And um, he's been trying to get like on an extra since he found out like Yellowstone was shooting there like a year ago. And he's just like, I just want to be an extra one time. And we hear about movies being filmed all the time. And he never like can somehow figure out who to let him into the movie to be an extra, which doesn't sound exciting to me. But anyway, he has been an extra on this film that's coming out. And now he's doing a different one. That's like a Western and they have them all dressed up. And like, he's having the time of his life. And I was like, don't you dare like take every single opportunity to do that. And then um, when all the movies that are happening right now are over, then you come. So he's supposedly coming on Monday, but given the way one of the productions is going, I wouldn't be super surprised if he didn't come for a few more days, but right. And I want to delighted for him. I want to clarify because the way you just said that, don't you dare take every opportunity is what it sounded like. Oh, what you mean is don't you dare, (laughs) don't you dare period exclamation point, take every opportunity there is exclamation point. (laughs) Because yes. I got, I got a text from him yesterday of him dressed up in like a Mexican poncho and a big hat. And he had a burrow. 
<laughs> with him. <laughs> and, I, and I showed Eric a picture of it. And I said, I think his character's name is called El Pollo Loco. And we had a good laugh about that. But, um, and Eric's like, well, how much does he get paid? Does he get in the credits? I'm like, I don't think you understand what an extra is. Like, he gets so, nothing. I didn't know this. So I had, I really thought it was like absolutely nothing, but, and usually it is. And it, no, it's like I a guess little it kind of depends, but he, he gets paid like a little per diem. And I'm, I guess some of the movies are one way or what the other, but what's funny is he has, he was a theater teacher for like, you know, a dozen years. He has all, a lot of kids that have like gone to Hollywood and gone to New York and gone because they want to work in theater and work in film and they're all super jealous because of course California is cut, closed down and they're like, we line up, you know, for hours and hours just to get the experience of being an extra. And he was a stand in for somebody and like, they're all just dying. So that makes it of course, even more fun for him. Yes, and everyone is jealous he, of El Pollo Loco. El Pollo Loco. But on the other film that is like maybe actually a really good quality film, he, um, after he was on set twice, they liked him so much. They were like, that guy, they called the casting person. And they were like, we want that guy to come every, until every day, until the production's over. And, you know, like, it's who he is, right? Like, people know him and he is super kind. And like, I would have thought like having somebody who was like a total, like, I would just have assumed like, do they know you're such a dork? Like, do they know that you think this is like the coolest thing of all time? And he was like, yeah they they love that I love it and they try to give like like a really quality production will try to give even some of their extras like at least FaceTime and screen time so they don't sit because they sit around for days Mm -hmm. you know for a couple scenes but he's actually pretty experienced like when he was a stand-in they were really impressed with him because he's a theater guy like he knows all his points and all the other things that I don't know what they are and then when I was home so I flew home Monday and then finished loading the moving van and drove yesterday, Wednesday um, to get. So like in a, in a, I saw him for like a few hours, but he was like, babe, as we're going to bed, babe, I just wish you could just come and be on set one day so you could meet everybody. And I'm like, hell no, absolutely no. not. Never, no. never sign me up for this job. Like it sounds like my worst nightmare and he's having the time of his life and I am just so happy for him. And and I am too. And it, I can tell he's excited because I'm getting texts of all kinds of pictures the way that I usually get texts <laughs> of like bison and lions. From bison him. and lions. Or like, <laughs> oh my God, can you please help me problem solve Allie? Because there's been plenty of those texts in the last two months. I like, get way more bison and lions from him. <laughs> <laughs> how do I manage my life? <laughs> yes. Like he sent me it's the true. one day you were leaving at six in the morning. He sent me a whole bunch of I don't know what extra stuff I don't remember. And then I was like, hey, did Allie get out okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's a deal oh, in I was, the yard. Yeah. I told you the man that loves have, wildlife. We had a conversation um, because the Western he's in, where he actually got to dress up like El Pollo Loco, was um, <laughs> <laughs> is a Nicolas Cage movie. And I told Eric, like, that means I'm sorry to tell you that if he gets screen time on this, what I'm sure is a pile of garbage, we're going to have to actually see it. And maybe we could talk John into letting us see it on demand. I don't know. But. <laughs> Luckily, he said he thinks it's going to be like a straight to Netflix movie. But I, didn't, I thought Nicolas Cage, like, I didn't know. I mean, I, granted, you know, I don't know anything about pop culture. Like, my favorite moment of the day so far was when I was talking to you like, a couple hours ago and you were like, you just need to know stuff. Like, what the hell, Allie? Yeah, what, like, about, about pop culture. Something. Yeah, pop, pop, yeah pop. I was trying to. I was trying to say who Lewis Black was. I was like, I need you to know this. I can't. I can't I just, fill in all the gaps of your every knowledge. single time I tell you a story. But um, luckily, mostly you just fill in all my knowledge gaps. I knew the van down right, but the van down by the river guy today. So I feel like I should get a gold star for like a whole week for that. Yes, you're kind of doing the thing Eric does, where he starts a conversation in the middle. Assuming that everyone has been with us all day long. I'm but sorry. Anyway, continue. Okay, so now I forgot what I was saying. Crazy. Something about oh. not knowing pop culture that Nicolas Cage movies are typically but garbage I thought Nick, I thought they were, I was like, Nicolas Cage, he's a big deal. But John said that he um, he was like impressed watching him act. Like you can tell he's like a very skilled actor. But that he um, 
like made all this money and went bankrupt and basically said like, I want to keep acting instead of going to do something else. So I'll just act in anything. And that's what he does now. And I was like, holy shit. One, I kind of love that you love acting that much and can appreciate, like, that's kind of, that says something that I think is a little admirable. And also that's really sad and depressing because he squandered his, like his art. Yeah. And it's funny because Nicolas Cage was actually one of the people. So I have a friend who is super into movies and back when we were both single and we uh, lived near by each other and worked together, um, we used to go to the movies like in the early nineties. No, sorry, not early nineties. I was in college in the early nineties, in the late nineties, we used to go to the movies every weekend. The two of us would with sometimes with other people, sometimes just the two of us, we went at least once, sometimes multiple times. So, and that was a long time ago, back when you actually, there weren't, there weren't as many movies. I mean, it's not like the seventies when there would be like four movies playing at a time or whatever, but, but you could actually see everything. And there was a period of time where if anybody in my family was going to the movies, because for most people in my life, it was a special occasion, they would call me and be like, what should I see? I go, well, there's this and this, this one's bad. Cause <laughs> I just saw everything with this. Yeah. And, um, there was a movie called Aircon that was, Oh um, yeah. Do you remember? And it had Nicolas Cage. And so we were sitting in the theater together next to each other and they were, we were watching a preview of it and he's, and they were showing the cast and he's like, this, this looks like a good movie. This looks like a great movie. This, and then by the end, he's like, this is my favorite movie of all time. And we were laughing. <laughs> and then we went and saw it and it was a pile of shit. So terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And so a few years later we were talking about it. And he said, you know what happened? And I said, was that back when you used to look at the cast rather than, than the director? It's like, yeah, that's exactly what it was because the quality of the movie is so much more yeah. about the director and the, the writer. In fact, I'm about to do something that feels like a betrayal, but it, it, it's, it's so organic in this conversation that I have to say it, but I just saw the new Hugh Jackman movie and it's terrible. It's terrible. The new um, Reminiscence. And I know I'm really and, sad because oh my gosh I'm devastated. Riley and I were so bored we almost left, and it's a perfect which is really example. saying something because I oh think my you watched a movie with Hugh Jackman. I think if there was like a YouTube video of Hugh Jackman just like spinning around in circles for like an hour, you would probably sit and watch that and be happy. I basically do that in his Instagram stories, <laughs> 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 but it's a perfect example of what we're talking about because they had a fantastic cast. And he did a great job in it. Other people did a great job in it. But the, the story was so dumb and the dialogue was so awful. Like there was one line of dialogue where someone's, it was some post-apocalyptic and even the post-apocalyptic situation didn't make any sense at all. But someone made said a line where they said, you know, after a while you figure out it's either survive or die. I'm like, the fuck? That's what survives <laughs> regular life. <laughs> that's, that's actually true. <laughs> when I said that Riley said you know the floor in here is really made out of floor like yes <laughs> like even a exactly. child can understand even this a, perfectly like, I leaned over to her about an hour in and I said I'm really bored and she said me too and we were we the whole way home we were so devastated because we're both huge Hugh Jackman fans huge and so he was so wasted in this movie but anyway to get back so Nicholas Cage is now known for not picking, and I don't know if it's not drunk. He was like wasted, like it was a waste of his talent. Right? No, yeah, it was a waste of his talent. No, no, no. He he did a wonderful job. Like it was well acted. Everyone in the cast did a really good job, but the writer and director, which by the way was the same person, it was just garbage. It was so awful. It's got like think like thirty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which makes what me other super movie sad. did I see recently that you were like, oh yeah, now that that guy's the director, they're they're no good. A I movie or a TV show? No, I saw a movie recent. Well, you know, like bar entertainment. It's like Peggy can go in her wheelchair and sit in one of those movie chairs. Like, so we've been seeing you know a movie once a week. It's like the high entertainment of our life right now. But, oh um, no, M Night Shyamalan. That's who you're talking about. Yeah, he's a one hit wonder. <laughs> what was the movie? The movie was old. Yeah, old. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh God, I saw yeah. that too, and it was. I'm like, I can't believe I've not been to the movies barely at all in the last year and a half. And old is one of the ones I saw. And <laughs> the I, first one. But I, you talked about it, and I was on. I was in California alone, and I'm like, well, I'll go to this movie. And then I saw that it was an M Night Shyamalan, and I almost didn't go. 
because he did the sixth sense, right? And then he also did Unbreakable, both of them fantastic. And then everything since then has just been, well, there's a couple where like, I kind of like signs and I thought the village was okay, but like everything has been mostly garbage. But every once in a while, he's funny because we'll be, he'll trick you. Like he did Unbreakable with Bruce Willis, which was great. And then I he did- seen that. You've never seen Unbreakable? My gosh, if you want to see- But I know who Bruce channel, Willis is. Very good. Fantastic. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but he did like kind of a sequel to it, which was called um, Split. And it was direct to whatever. It wasn't, I don't think it came in there. Maybe it was like an art house release. Or and that was really good. And then he made like a, a third one in the series, which was called um, Glass, I think. Oh, because Unbreakable is Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, and so everybody was really excited because Split was really good. And so we went and saw Glass and it was terrible. Like, oh, oh, he's like a bait and switcher. It's funny because that's we, the not what we were going to talk about. But anyway. But now, so, but now, wait, we should definitely not change the subject to what we were going to talk okay. about. Because. Just keep talking about this? We should for sure. Yeah, I have like three things to say about this. And we just for sure need to, fa- you have to fangirl about Hugh Jackman now. There's like a whole story. You do. I feel. I feel bad though because I just said, but I didn't say anything bad about him. He was good in the movie, but I feel bad because I do adore and love him, and I just said something bad, but it's so organic in the conversation because it really was a perfect example of like a bad, bad writer, a bad director. There's no good casting. Okay, I love the distinction about the writer and the director piece because. I mean, not like not like I'm an expert sitting on the sidelines, but like what listening to John like the directors are really making this huge difference and the crew and like the different people in charge are really, you know, like really telling the story and creating it. And even the experience of being an extra for him or a stand-in like is really um, formed by, by who the director is on each set. So yeah, that's really no, the interesting. Director, the director is the creator of a movie and sometimes they'll let why I'm really sorry, but I don't understand that why, why that is. I, yeah. I like they they put it all together like they edit I they decide how do I go even, where I thought how the do I even kind start of the, the, I'm sorry start? <laughs> please explain um, it to me don't okay. tell John I asked this question my dilettante is showing again because I don't know this 100% but basically <laughs> the director gets to decide basically how to tell the story um and always actors yes always and I thought a lot of times the writer did that well, they work together, um, but the director chooses like the shots and the editing, and they tell the they tell the the actors do it like this, do it like that. And sometimes with a very mature actor, it'll be a lot more collaborative. Like you hear actors talk, and they talk about the best directors to work with are the ones that allow them to collaborate. And you also hear about actors when they want to like advance in their craft. They're always looking for opportunities to direct or produce or to write because that's much more creative part of the Mm. process. Like a much more, not that what they do isn't creative, but I mean, there's a lot more control of the finished product. Who's the the most famous? Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask who's the most famous director of all time. Do you think? Probably Alfred Hitchcock. Probably Alfred Hitchcock is probably the most famous. Is Steven Spielberg a director? Yes, of course. Of course. Oh my gosh, this primary. I'm asking, I just want to make sure that was actual. Yes, yes. But he also produces, he has a movie company. This isn't even something I know very much What's the difference between a producer and a director? I guess that's why I I need you to explain. Okay, so I'm not 100% clear, but I've got like the producer is kind of like the project manager. They get all the people together. They get the money. They, you know, figure out who the director is. They pick a script and they kind of put the project together. And then the director kind of, runs with it but right. sometimes it's the same person really? like it's much more it's yeah work. and the, that's why a lot of the directors start their own production companies um so that they can have the creative control they want this is why the chosen did it the way they did it because Explain. elaborate because not everybody even knows <laughs> what the chosen is and then okay. i think this is a perfect way to segue into hugh jackman and the greatest showman because didn't he Direct. He produced that one. No, he didn't direct that one. The Greatest Showman. He produced, no, he produced well, it. See, yeah. see, I literally don't know what the difference is, but okay, continue. Yeah. So, um, the Chosen is the the TV, not TV. It's like the episodic show about Jesus, 
And they literally built their own platform and they've a hundred percent crowdfunded all of it. There's two seasons out right now. They planned for like six or seven and they crowdfunded all of it because they didn't want to be, be beholden because there's also studios too. So there's studios, there's producers, there's directors, all of it. So they're keeping creative control by taking all those roles. It's absolutely amazing that you could produce a Hollywood quality movie. Well, it's a, like a Netflix kind of thing, a series that is like, like unquestionably the quality of Hollywood without any of the, like they're telling the story how they want to. And it's one of the most beautiful, um, like, I feel like the whole world would be better if like we took a year off and everybody who went to church just watched The Chosen every week instead. (laughs) And you know what's funny? I've been watching. It's so funny because this really does show what a dabbler and a dilettante I am because I know barely anything about this. But I just, when I'm interested in something, I learn enough until I satisfy my interest and then I stop. But Um, But you have a very high interest level. So it's pretty impressive. So I've been watching this show on because I did a lot of flying recently. And so I downloaded a lot of these episodes. I've been watching the show on Netflix called The Movies That Made Us. And it's all about um, the making of these really popular movies. Pretty Woman. Did you finish the one about the tyrants? No, we, we kind of quit watching that one. It's kind of heavy for nighttime, which is when we okay. usually watch. But anyway, um, so it's covering all these movies. Jurassic Park, um, Pretty Woman, Dirty Dancing, Ghostbusters I'm trying uh, back to the future a whole bunch of these movies right and the one of the main takeaways and again they're produced however they're produced the show itself is like the best movies get made in spite of the Hollywood producers half of the time <laughs> unless it's someone like wow. Spielberg or whatever yeah because like think about it they're like the middle they're like the manager people who who are like the bean counters and they want to make sure they do a good product and produce. They're like the bureaucracy. Yeah. They're the bureaucracy. Absolutely. The studios are. Um, And then usually there's a producer. So like dirty dancing, um, they couldn't get any major studio to take them on. And the, the studio that put them out, Vista, I think it was, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I watched this. They were like a direct to video. I think they were like softcore porn or something. And then they wanted to, they wanted to have like a main studio label. No, they weren't. They weren't porn, but they were like some kind of shitty direct to video. <laughs> I'm like Maybe that a little bit of some of the scenes of Dirty Dancing. No, it doesn't. But anyway, um, <laughs> so that was the only place that they could oh. get to pick it up. And then there was this woman. She'd never been a producer. Blah blah blah. There's a whole story, and it got made kind of in spite of. And a lot of those shows of the these like famous movies that did really well like basically all the big studios passed on them or someone tried to shut it down oh on Forrest Gump somebody tried to like cut their budget and Tom Hanks and um the director like went in their own pocket um and paid for whatever and they were just like so pissed about it um and one that was so to make the point about the director thing so Pretty Woman basically didn't have a script it kind of did um and then they were uh, they were interviewing Jason Alexander, um, George Costanza from Seinfeld for you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and he came on kind of late in the project because they didn't really want him. And he comes on and uh, the director of that one is Gary Marshall, who's done lots of really fantastic stuff. And they said, he's talking to Richard Gere, the, you know, the lead. And then he said, well, hang on, this movie is, you know, whatever. He kind of like give him a, like, hold on to your hat kind of thing. And he's like, what are you talking about? You'll see. And then Jason Alexander was like imitating Gary Marshall saying like, he'd go, now do it angry. Now do it funny. Now do it like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they, it was just, they said it was just so random. They were just shooting all this random stuff and everyone's like, how is this ever going to be a movie? But he had it in his head and then he edited it all together. Mm-hmm. And now it's like one of the most beloved romantic comedies of all time. Although I went and rewatched it after watching that. And I was like, oh God, this is shit. But it doesn't show. <laughs> right? right. But based on what he had, he just had like a whole bunch of random footage and he makes story. Like sometimes that they'll even really edit a movie and make the story totally different. Totally different. Yeah. John's always talking about things like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Oh, and let me tell one more thing about Jurassic Park. And this was really fantastic fantastic in a geeky way so um jurassic park steven spielberg right you knew that Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, but I know who that is. He did it. He did that. I think he produced and directed that one. I can't remember. I don't know. But anyway, the dinosaurs were going to be animatronic, animatronic, um, like puppety yeah. type things, um, because the technology at the time was not the technology to CGI a dinosaur just didn't exist. Like it just the the industry just wasn't capable. And so they interviewed wow. Sky. <laughs> and this guy was so funny. He seems like an asshole, right? He's got this buzz cut and he's smoking <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, I've been fired from uh ILM, that's industrial light and magic. I've been fired from ILM like five times. I always put that on my resume. And he was like, um <laughs> and he was one of the computer animators and so he's like I could do this but his boss who was in charge of animatronic puppets or whatever didn't even want him to try but he did it in secret on the side he did a CGI dinosaur and they came in to see like Spielberg and a bunch of other people came in to see some of the products and they had a computer with the animation of the dinosaur running uh, like like supposedly just running by happenstance but they did it on purpose but they didn't show it to him they just had it running like in the background like on the like on a second desk off to the right or whatever <laughs> and so and they're like here's the thing and Spielberg's like what's this like, oh this old thing this is just something we're working <laughs> on and um so he figured out how to do it but it was like to the wire and his ass was really on the line because his boss was mad at him and blah 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 so movies right. have all the same infighting stuff of anything. It's so interesting because John complains all the time about, I mean, he loves Marvel movies and like superhero stuff. But, um, and I think those are typically being produced like pretty well. Like they're, they're what they are, right? Like they're however entertaining you think those are or not. But um, if you're like an adult man in a boy's body or the other way around, a boy and adult. What, if you're like my husband, like there's not, I don't even know how you can have that many facts about superheroes in your head. However, like they're good, but he laments like that there's not a lot of innovation happening, that we're doing a lot of remaking the same stories that like new stories aren't being told well. And Mm -hmm. um, it makes perfect sense because it's so, I mean, just like everything else, like if there's that layer of bureaucracy, um, you miss out. And what's also hard is that a lot of indie films aren't as good because they're missing a lot of that like the resourcing and mm-hmm. if you could yeah. mer- strip out both of those problems like we could tell really beautiful stories really well it's one of the things that I love will you tell the Pixar story because how they make Wait. people make shorts before the Pixar story though I have to tell you I have to say something about what you just said it's worse than you're even saying because what he's pointing to is evidence that the movie industry is basically dead as it currently exists like things no settle down settle (laughs) down because amazon is making stuff now and netflix is making stuff and the chosen is making stuff but this idea of like big studios and whatever is basically dead because um whenever an industry is dying um they go for what's called the cash cows like the things Mm. that they just know they can make a bunch of money off of like um oracle is in in my old field a good example like they use I don't even know what they do anymore they bought Java but um they had this big big like behemoth of a database and there was a time when they were like the main database provider you use and then open source databases started being much nimbler and free obviously or cheap with support and better and so then they just like did everything they could to charge licenses and you know, any customer that was still using the database, it's like, oh, did you want it to work on Mondays? Well, that's a $10 Monday work upcharge, like that kind of thing. They just milk it for all it's worth because they know it's dying. So when you look at the current movie industry, the studio movie industry, with all the sequels and the reboots and the remakes and everything, that's an industry just milking its cash cow as it goes out the door dead. But I think it's, and I think, can you, wait, wait, I, wait, I, I was like about before you told the Oracle story to say like, can you give another example? But then you told yeah. the Oracle story. I'm like, can you give another example that's not software related? Cause I like in my, how my brain works about things. I'm like, oh, there's something I need to really hold on to in that. See, you always, can you think of I'm another talking, example? And you I'm always sorry. push me when I'm talking through just surface knowledge. So, um, okay. Kodak is another great example. Um, yes. they they never got into digital and then they tried to just squeeze every drop that they could out of film 
Um, and I don't, I can't remember exactly the things that they did at the end, but they basically like, how can we maximize the amount of money that we can make on film because they were dying. And a lot of times they don't know they're dying. Sometimes it's hard to resist that cash cow, but that's like, I read a whole analysis about this, about studios, um, that you, you can watch their behavior and be like, oh yeah, this is a dying industry milking their cash cow and they'll limp along for a while. They're not going to like go out of business, but it's not the vibrant, like that vibrancy and creativity is now moving into, um, it used to be embarrassing for something to go direct to video, but now right. all the time, like, like this reminiscence movie, which I hated, um, it was released in theaters and on HBO max. And, um, there was another Which is a combination of COVID and yeah, I mean, yeah. even the Aretha Franklin movie Respect, which that's was on unbelievable, too. went direct yeah. to. Yeah. Which is yeah, just terrible. In in here. But no, but it's still in theaters. And I think COVID's accelerating this a little bit. Um, mm. And you can tell too when you go. So the movies, movies was already kind of dying even before COVID. People would rather be at home, blah, blah, blah. And oh, like, I love to go family, to the movies. But you have it more as an experience. And I do. like my family mostly goes only to Roadhouse because we love I was going to say you do because Roadhouse. And, right. But you have to describe they, Roadhouse for everyone who doesn't live in Arizona and can't have it. And in Colorado. Um, I Did they ever? Oh, I thought they didn't open the one in Colorado no, yet. No, Colorado Springs. It's been there forever. Uh, um, I thought it was delayed because of COVID. No, no. There, there was supposed to be a second location in Tucson that got delayed because of COVID. Okay. Um. Anyway, it's, they have the full recliners, full menu, full bar, desserts, gourmet popcorn. You can get it all to your seats. And a lot of movies are starting to do that now with the recliners. And even Cinemark, you can have them delivered to your seat. But, like, who wants popcorn? But the and food's milk not as good. Right. I was going to say, like, there's something about, like, the quality of Roadhouse and the theaters aren't quite as big. It's really, like, kind of, it feels really amazing and intimate and, like, you get sucked in in some way and being yeah. able to have food delivered, but it's like, like the food is really good and the popcorn. Like, yeah. And so it really it's not is as good since COVID, but is it? Oh. well, I mean, they have to do, what come they back. Have to do their kitchen is real short staffed, like everywhere. Right. It'll yeah. come back. We're, we're trying, I bought gift cards during COVID to try to help them out. I don't think it did help them out, but at least they could have some <laughs> revenue. I don't know. We try, we had Eric get like take out popcorn a few times. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you know, home theaters are becoming so good and people are starting to cocoon more, but the content and the storytelling that'll never go away. Humans are addicted to stories. That'll never go away. And you know, whatever method we tell stories in, um, it's never going to stop because we just, we're a storytelling species we love, but I love that. I mean, you and I have been talking a lot we talk a lot about like where doTERRA is and where we're at, where the world's at and different things and the need for innovation in the church. And like, it is really interesting how, um, how difficult it seems to be for when their success to continue to foster innovation and to continue to foster, you know, like the whole parts of the, um, what is that called? Galvanizing the working genius process. (laughs) I almost (laughs) called it galvanizing. (laughs) So great. Funny about but it really is but, you know, so it's, crucial. It's funny that you say that because this is just my opinion. So a lot of what I just said was stuff that I've read and I'm just regurgitating back to you. But my opinion, and I've heard some creators talk about this. One of the places we're innovating right now with storytelling, like visual storytelling, is um, the short multi-part series. So instead of a two-hour movie, you, you now have eight hours to tell your story because it's going to be released right. as a four- part bingeable series um, how is that different than just a, a series on like what we like that you would binge watch anyway so a lot of series are intended to be like if you think of a show like friends right it's intended yeah, like, to be on uh, as many episodes, season, as many seasons as you can get away with. as many as they can get but now we as a culture have started to be okay with like something like Tiger King, right? Actually, you know, what's funny. It's kind of a reboot of the miniseries. Do you remember when miniseries were a thing? Like, like Thornbird and stuff? Movie yeah, no, 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 no. Hallmark was a movie. There used to be, and it was, just, this was a big thing in the eighties. There, there was would be Hallmark a miniseries. miniseries. I assure you. Was there Hallmark miniseries? There has I remember, to. I remember the Thornbirds was like such a big deal and it would be on every night for a week for like two hours. 
when I think about it now, it's kind of insane, but that, that gives you the way to tell, like the Thornbirds is this big, thick novel. And if you tried to make it into a movie, it wouldn't, it, it would be hard to tell it. Like Gone with the Wind as a movie kind of sucks, um, but Gone with the Wind as a miniseries would be able to really get into all the character development and everything because it's a gigantic book. Um, so we're starting to get back into basically the miniseries, but we release it as on-demand bingeable content. And a lot of creators I've heard talk about, not a lot, I've heard a few talk about, they kind of like that more expansive um, format. Mm -hmm. And I've also heard, who was it? Like a friend of a friend was doing something for Amazon or Netflix. You might've even told me this, one of John's friends. And Amazon, I can't remember if it was Amazon or Netflix. They gave them so much money. The director was like, I can't even spend it all because their content is so durable because a movie, right? It comes out and then it's in the theater for a little while and then it goes to video or whatever. That's the old model. But like Amazon's original content or even Disney Plus, they're starting to produce tons of original content. They have, I'm not into Marvel, but they've got some short series about Loki that everyone's losing their mind about. That's durable content. Oh yeah, John's watching that every week. Yeah, it's there. And any new customer, like it's, uh, what do they call that? Like green, uh, uh, evergreen content. Like a lot of um, internet people, like an evergreen right. course, right? You make this course, you put it up for sale. Somebody buys it two years from now, somebody else buys it. It's really They're, hard for me to believe that there's really, like, I feel like all the nerds watched watch Loki and then they want the next thing and they're not people going back and watching it. I am probably wrong. I'm no, just no, saying no. like, in my mind, it doesn't people, work like that. It's not people going back to watch it. It's people four years from now watching it for the first time. It's evergreen. Once so that's they what I mean. It. Is like I feel like all the nerds watch that want to watch Loki watched it, and like in two years, people aren't going to be like, "Oh, we should go watch that." New people. Yeah, people who never got Disney Plus, their friends talked about it. Oh, I'm finally going to get Disney Plus so that I can watch Loki. And then everybody's talking about it. Yeah. And a lot of times something like that, that it'll be And do they make enough money doing those? Like, I mean, it just amazes me. Like, I don't know. It's brand new. (laughs) So yeah, it's it's a new way of doing They're all fighting for the market. Yeah. And I think COVID really forced the hand and accelerated some things. Like, I think Netflix and Amazon were already set up for this shift. But COVID made it like everyone was scrambling to figure out how to continue to deliver. And that movie that we both really loved, Free Guy, with Ryan Reynolds, which I freaking loved. Oh, by the way, speaking of, I was going to say when you were talking about John with extras, he did a little Instagram story thing where he talked about some of the extras. He's like, now's the time to honor the background actors. And there was a woman, she's like, yeah, I ran hundreds of miles to be on Free Guy because she was a background jogger. She would just like jog past, but they <laughs> wow. re- they repeated the over day, right? and like over he and would over, wake yeah. up every day. Yeah, kind of like the Truman Show. And so she just she she said she ran hundreds of miles to be in free guy. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! <laughs> Isn't that fun? Yeah, um, but they made a big deal about so that was supposed to be released last year, and they held it and they made a big deal about it being only in theaters. So there's kind of a balance, like. Every time I've been to the theaters lately, which hasn't been much, there's all this previews that say like, like there's mm-hmm. little commercials like, welcome back to the big screen. And you've never had an experience <laughs> like this. This is way better right. than your couch. Right. You're and like, there's mm-hmm. a little desperate about it. Like I'm here. So I don't know who you're talking to. Um, right. But yeah, anyway, it's just really, this was totally not what we were going to talk about, but we're just riffing and geeking. And that's but okay. I love it. And I want you, and maybe we will have to, I feel like maybe we'll have to save the Hugh Jackman obsessive talk, fangirl talk for another day. Cause yes, for sure. 15 or so minutes isn't enough, yes, but I, but I want to be clear. Would tell. I want to be clear. Even though I didn't like that movie, I love Hugh Jackman with my whole heart. It's one of my favorite people. And it's not just because <laughs> like, it is totally not because of his Wolverine-ness. He didn't catch if my eye. If you had to choose was... between Simon Sinek and Hugh Jackman, how would you choose? Hugh Jackman, 100%. Okay. So yeah, as far as I know, Simon Sinek doesn't act. But Hugh Jackman is like, Hugh Jackman is I know Simon Sinek doesn't act, but I, I was going to say, I think you like Hugh Jackman irrespective of his acting. So I want no, you totally, to tell three, I have three things I want you to tell and we have, you know, and then we have to wrap. So tell yes. these three, talk about these three things that you've already told me about. 
One, I, th- I want you to tell the Pixar thing and I want you to tell the story about Netflix and like how that you and I were originally ta- were talking about a few weeks ago where you're talking about how like even before the technology really existed to deliver movies that way, like they weren't yes. called DVD yes. flicks that. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, and then I think you should wrap with you just Hugh Jackman, um, the story of the greatest showman getting created because that is kind of wraps a nice bow on everything that we're saying that we love about storytelling and innovation and all that stuff. Uh, see, I don't know if I could do if I don't know if I could do justice to everything that I know about the greatest showman because it's been a while and I would have to go brush up on all of it. But that's um, all right. You can just give us the highlights. Uh, Okay. And then you can tell more on the Hugh Jackman podcast. (laughs) We're not going to do a whole podcast on Hugh Jackman. That would be are for sure. No, I could get you to talk about interesting things that you've told me about Hugh Jackman for like four or five hours of actually really good content because he's I believe that he's an amazing man who's an amazing human being yeah yeah our theater and yeah and but also human development he talks a ton about like um like personal development work and belief and woo a little bit into woo um like when remember when he sang at doTERRA which he was surprised guest at doTERRA and I like quietly joyfully peed my pants um There's nothing quiet about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Emily Wright, when they were talking on the phone, she said, I manifested you. And he said, I felt that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Really so he's awesome. a little bit woo too. But to be clear, I'm not a Wolverine fan girl. He did not no. catch my attention until he was in Les Mis. And, but um, you can't I, start talking about Hugh Jackman. No. Or there's going to be like 50 things about it. I was just going to say one little thing where I said, when I heard he was cast in Les Mis, I was like, the Wolverine guy? I was kind of scornful. And I'm sorry, Hugh, if you ever listen to this, I take it all back. I was wrong. You're right. But I like <laughs> ugly cried all the way through Les Mis. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? This was an amazing performance. And so then I started like learning tons about him and him and his wife and everything. And just like, wow, this is a really astonishing individual. Like I really respect him as a person. Um, and then when we saw his one man show, it. oh, it's so good. I mean, it's I one know, of my I favorite re- plays anyway. I'm watch it. I, so I was 16 when I first saw it. You're not telling, asking me to tell this story, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I was 16 no, when I first saw it. No, how are you going to fit in all my stories, Lynn? There's plenty of time. <laughs> um, and we, um, I was in Honors English, and we were able to get $6 tickets to touring theater companies. There's a, so the town near where I grew up, Grand Rapids has way more infrastructure than it should because Amway and Meyer were both founded there and they've got, they've put tons of money. The Amway people, the Steelcase people and the Meyer people have put tons of money back in the community. Amway was founded in Grand Rapids? Grand Rapids, oh, hundred percent. That's why there's the Amway Grand Plaza and the DeVos this. No, 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 it's West. And what other companies were founded there? Steelcase and um, Meyer. Steelcase is the office furniture. Okay. And Meyer's like, like super nice Kmart or something. It's way nicer than Kmart. Um, Does it still more of a grocery today? store? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's more, okay. it's more groceries. It's like, it's more like a super They had Walmart. them in Ohio. I went with my grandma when I was Yeah, there. before, before super before Walmart. Before Walmart. Meyer. Yeah. No. Well, <laughs> actually Walmart came and looked at Meyer when they were developing their super Walmart concept. But anyway, so there's way nicer arts and facilities like that, these beautiful museums and a sculpture garden and all this great stuff because of those families have put money back into their community. Like it's way oh, too big lovely. for twitches. It's, it's, it's awesome. There's all these great venues. So they get lots of great touring. Anyway, Les Mis was coming and I knew nothing about it, zero. Um, and I got a $6 ticket way up in the nosebleed seats and the curtains opened. And I don't think I took a breath for an hour. And I was so under a spell by it that I literally didn't notice that it was all music until it was like an hour in. Like it was like waking wow. up from a dream going, oh my gosh, this is all music. Like I was so entranced and enchanted. Yeah. And so when they were going to put it on the, the big screen, I was like, oh boy, they better be careful. Um, and then Hugh yeah. Jackman is fantastic. And um, Anne, oh shit, Anne Hathaway just astonishingly phenomenal um and do you think i should watch it i do and okay. uh let's see who else was in it oh and then, okay here's the thing that i can say about hugh jackman that's like totally lovey i didn't even <laughs> notice that colm wilkinson who was the original john valjean 
and I'm like a super fangirl of Colm Wilkinson too. I didn't even notice he was in it as the bishop until the very end because I was so entranced by Hugh Jackman's performance and I felt like I had to apologize to Colm Wilkinson because I'm a giant fangirl of him too. And then um, Russell Crowe is in it and my opinion of that is I really like him wow. gladiator. Like he's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I really like him when his shirt is off, basically. I liked him. I liked him in Gladiator. No, he was pretty good in Gladiator, but he's just he just did not have the um he just didn't have the singing chops to uh mm. keep up with everybody else. It was unfortunate because he has the like he plays Javert, the cop, and he's got like the presence and the heft, but he just doesn't have the voice. Anyway, um <laughs> okay. So you wanted me to talk about Pixar. Yeah, what about my three stories? <laughs> I'm not going to yes. say anything more about The Greatest Showman. I'm going to do the two. Do oh Pixar and then forget what the other Fine. one was. But no, it's later. Short. You have to tell. I, I know, will... but I'll take my other two stories. Well, tell Netflix and then tell Pixar because that's like such a cute, sweet way to end the podcast. Yeah. So um, you and I have talked a ton. Why don't you talk about the Gaudi Church first and then I'll talk about Netflix. What does that have to do with anything? Oh, Are yeah, you that's, kidding me? It's that's the same how we story. Got into the thing. <laughs> okay, so um, there's this really ugly church in Spain. No, I'm just kidding. It, it is not. Spain. It's gothic. It's gothic style, and it is not especially. I personally don't think it's especially beautiful. I don't like the gothic style. However, but it's it's an exquisite example of, of the gothic. The church style. is is unbelievable, and I have like a moment in my life where. I was standing outside that I'll get to that. So basically um, Gaudi was an architect and at, toward the end of his life, he wanted to design this church. And um, I mean, there's books written about this, but he literally died inside the church. He was trying to fundraise to build it, but he um, was architecting it and the technology to build it is literally still being created. I think we're coming up to the um, 200 year anniversary where it's finally going to be finished. But as they're, as they're literally doing the work all these years later, they're still creating the technology. He architected something. There wasn't even the technology to build. And I feel like the infinite game, the invitation to like the most brave kind of life I can even think about living is to like participate in dreaming and innovating a way for humanity to live and work and in a way that we can only hope to architect the plans that we don't even have the technology to fulfill on and that generations to come will have to fulfill on it. Yeah. And I I stood outside the Gaudi church, maybe five years ago now, I've been there multiple times now, because I mean, whenever we cruise around, you know, the area they go that part of the world, they take, they go to Barcelona and I'm like, uh, Barcelona. It's like, nah, I mean, I don't love Barcelona, Barcelona, however they say it. But, um, and there was protesting. It's almost like a French part of Spain. It's terrible. But, um, <laughs> I hate all the, like everywhere I go in France, they're protesting. The French part of Spain. But, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. So, um, I always go to the Gaudi church because it's amazing. It is really something to behold. Like there's so much going on. Like it tells its own story, but I stood there a couple of years ago and I called you afterward. And I was like, I really feel like God said to me in my bones that like, this is the work of, of your guy's life. Like you will just barely innovate the, like the generations to come will have to fulfill on what you're dreaming. And yeah, I even just get chills saying that right now. Yeah. And you know what? You reminded me another thing that um, the creation song blend I just made is for that kind of generative speaking that oh, it, I love that. Um, a brand new blend. And I can't <laughs> now I'm, I can't even think of what's in it right now. I know there's clary sage and lavender or clary sage and spearmint, but I can't even remember everything that's in it. But one of the things it does is it opens your throat to speak from the future rather than from what you can currently see. Um, oh, I love that. I, um, when I unpacked my computer, I was like, it's, it's I've got to actually start writing, you know, the 5 billion entrepreneurs. Like I've got to start getting somebody else to actually do all the writing and arc, like it's got, or I've got to start writing it and, and I'll have to co-write it. I hate writing, but um, yeah. I, when you, just when you were describing creation song, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make that blend and keep it by my computer for when it's time to write. That's what it's for. And 
and it might even be where you where you're speaking with your co-writer um and it'll it will be available i'm going to totally make that one available in the shop i made it for someone we should tell the story of creation song sometime i made it for someone as a thank you for someone who did something kind for you and then i took it with me to school of the prophets but i think it's going to be one of my signatures kind of like wonder woman i think it might be like it like how i love to talk about like you get well physically and then you get well emotionally and then you get well spiritually like an evolution I think it's going to be like Wonder Woman allows you to stand in your power. And then once you're secure there, then creation song opens you to speak from the future. Like, I think I'm going to start be developing this signature series of blends and creation song, which came so easily, almost like dictation that I didn't remember. I said, I didn't trust Mm -hmm. it because it felt like this academic exercise, but I honestly (laughs) think the blend was just waiting for someone to make it like it existed. And then I just channeled it. But anyway, so where the way Netflix hooks in with that is the founders of Netflix, if you can reach way back in time, for anybody who can remember, <laughs> Netflix used to be DVDs by mail. And the only net part of it was you would go online and you would pick them out and you had your queue. Remember your Netflix queue? And like you would move DVDs up and down. Yep. Um, so you'd go in, say, and then they would mail you whatever. And it's so funny. <laughs> I was reading, um, again, social media, someone was, it wasn't even someone I know. It was like a screenshot again, right? A screenshot of, t- of a tweet on Facebook years old is how old I am. But someone <laughs> was telling her, her child about this. And the child affected this old lady voice and was like, in my day, the internet came by mail. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the time, um, they had the vision for what Netflix is. I don't know if they had the vision for Netflix as a as a production studio but they had the vision for what netflix currently is way back then and the founders even said that's why we didn't call it dvds by mail or something stupid like that but the technology didn't exist like they literally had this idea of what netflix is like we take streaming so for granted now but they were the first ones yeah Yeah. and they had this it is really amazing infrastructure didn't exist like and i keep thinking about how cool I thought it was when Redbox came along. Like, I don't have to wait in the mail for my DVDs. I can, like, just go get, pop it, you know, and get one from a Redbox. And if you had asked me, like, which company do you want to invest in? I probably would have invested in Redbox in that, yeah, like, moment. <laughs> I'm dumb. But, like, seriously, oh. I mean, we had no, like, to hold that kind of vision of, like, we're going toward this kind of technology. Like, it's pretty amazing. And I wish you would read more about Netflix and like who's running the show or about their envisioning and tell me more stories about it. Riley thought that the Redbox machine printed your DVD while you waited. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually so much, (laughs) which would be probably technology today. (laughs) No, no, you could totally do Um, that. You would just have to have a giant database in there. But um, with Netflix, it's interesting because it wasn't just the technology that didn't exist. The infrastructure didn't exist. Like even right. if they could have done, and that's- Oh, I'm so that, glad you made that distinction because that's part of what's happening in- With COVID. In, yeah, we're changing infrastructure. And also when you look at um, how do you start to invent something that they still have to architect, like the scaffolding, the way of doing it didn't exist. Like we, we don't have a way of changing- yet the structure of work because we still don't have the proper way to that we value people. Yeah. And you and I talked last year about how COVID accelerated our ability to spread movements. And I was talking to someone about this at School of the Prophets and he was like, not ours personally, but like ours as humanity also. Yeah. Ours as humanity. Yeah. Our, our ability as humanity and us as members of humanity. And we were talking about COVID and he was saying like, you know, Uh, whatever he said something like the enemy was using it for bad he wasn't being a jerk but he was just like you know I said no honestly I mean I don't think God caused COVID I don't think that way but the infrastructure that we built to survive COVID is okay let's talk just about Zoom I'm a huge fan of Zoom I was gonna say now you're gonna tell Zoom story I know and then we'll be done you're not gonna get your Pixar story I'm sorry but um they uh I'm a huge fan of Zoom they've taken a lot of flack um, over this security, this end-to-end encryption thing recently, but whatever, I don't even give two shits. But Zoom was this like little dinky thing and we had used it. You and I were already using it pre-COVID. Riley was- I can remember on when out somebody school. told me like, hey, we're going to start using Zoom. Like I can remember adopting Zoom. Like it wasn't yeah. that long ago. And they went from 10 million daily users 
in December of 2019 to 200 million daily users in May. Like, which is, is insane. Unbelievable. And, and it's, more, it's way and more than that now. It's the way more than didn't that. Give the money to do that. Nope. Not one bit. They went in their pocket for a lot of it. They were giving away, mem- they were giving away premium memberships to any K to 12 school. They're like any K to 12 school premium membership. When they had like an outage, the CEO or the VP or whatever would come out and personally apologize. I am here to personally apologize and take full responsibility. Like we could do a whole thing about the integrity of the Zoom people too. And but also how point, much he kept growing and his humility. Like, yes, I would have been like, listen, fuckers, I am giving yeah. you the technology. Like you don't need, you're not even paying for this. And even if you I are was, like, what you're getting is unbelievable. Stop well, complaining. He, but he, he did never, he didn't do that. And he never signed up to be the backbone of our education and economy. That just happened to him. Like 10 right. million to 200 million. Do you know how many servers and they had just servers alone they had to buy not to mention i don't staff really know what a server is let's be honest it's, it's a but big giant computer it it's a big giant computer like it's a computer that's super fast and can handle like all kinds of crazy stuff like, i just want you to know i do know what a server is because of the movie that we just watched the cool guy or whatever free guy free guy take yeah apart all the servers yeah I even that was dumb but whatever um, so just the amount of like hardware that he had to buy to support that kind of scaling without COVID that might've taken a decade maybe five years, but there is no way that they oh, would no, that would have taken times. because you wouldn't have gotten people to adopt even now. Right. I'm horrified that we adopted so much. And now we're just like resetting education, like in the communities I'm part of, I can't see, I can see almost no innovation around education, which is a tragedy like okay right. well now we learned all this stuff and now we're just gonna go kind of we learned actually kids mostly just learn just as much with less time like and better delivery and we can you know wrap our arms around things in a different way but we're not and yeah well that's a conversation for another insane. day but anyway so that you're not gonna get your story. About education oh i'm sorry we're almost okay. at an hour um, all right and just tell just it it's really short okay so quickly, um, and it does, I don't know where it fits in with, I guess it fits in with like expanding the voice of creators. So Pixar has yeah. this thing called, it's not short. I don't know where it fits it's in. Pixar, it's Pixar Sparks, I think they're called. I can't think. It's not shorts. It's not like the short that comes out with the movie, but it's these little things that are available on Disney Plus. And they're kind of like a short, but what they've done is um, anybody could put forth at, at all of Pixar anybody could put forth an idea for one and then Pixar would resource them to get it done. So you didn't have to be like a director or an animator or whatever. Like you could be anybody. And they're not terribly expensive, right? Because they're just a couple minutes. I don't know how expensive they are. I mean, I know they're not. I cost a lot of money. Okay. You know, they're not, but I mean, um, relatively, like we don't have to make a whole movie to foster one person's idea. Yeah. And so then they resource them about these, um, you know, to tell their little stories. And they mostly are people who don't typically have a voice. Like there's one about an immigrant family. It's not even an immigrant family. It's like a story that's like an allegory about immigration. And there's one, because none of them are that literal. Like one of my favorite right. ones is about women in the workplace. It's called Pearl. And it's like this little pink ball of yarn who goes work at this like real buttoned up place. And then she like knits herself <laughs> into this stiff thing. I'm like, yeah, as a woman in software, I feel that. But um yeah, isn't this how Soul a... started out? I don't know. I thought Soul I thought was like I don't that. know. I I don't mm. know. Um, and then there's one about a, a guy and and the way his son's autism is for him. I mean, the the son in the little thing doesn't have autism. He floats, <laughs> and they have to like Aww. pull him down and stuff. But they're all they're like the voices that we haven't had in our art before. And Pixar is like, yeah, we want to support this, and because we have this streaming platform, and you can sit and watch a whole bunch of Pixar Sparks in a row and like it's just a new way to tell stories that maybe wouldn't get told and maybe us maybe some a father's it levels the playing well field yeah, yeah gives and maybe that wouldn't be a whole movie right like maybe that wouldn't be good enough for a whole like there isn't enough story for two hours but there's enough story for four minutes so um it is like a new way of of telling stories with people who don't typically have a chance to tell their story That's there awesome. you go so you got your Pixar story, but you're not going to get your greatest showman. 
All right, I can I can wait because I know you can fangirl about that in a way that yeah, and I have to brush up on all the facts. Yeah, that's not true. The minute we like started, you would just pull everything from the crazy resource that is your brain. That's true. Probably, probably. Yeah, because you were right. like my reminder. You're like my card catalog. Okay, I have my so random story there. for the end real fast though. <laughs> okay, I just wanted everybody to know that now that I have to take Peggy in the actual ladies room a lot in her wheelchair and it's like a whole big process. Like whenever she has to go to the bathroom in public and I was like, oh God, please, please, can she fit in and can we figure this out? But a lot of times I go to the bathroom beside her and then I stand on the toilet and peek over the side and talk to her. All right, so you're in the ladies room with her. That is very <laughs> random. You promised a random story and you did not disappoint. <laughs> <I'm> disappoint <at all. laughs> just, I was just thinking about leaving the ladies room and how like now when I'm with Peggy, because I don't want to like go in constantly and interrupt her. So sometimes I'll just lift my head over the side. Like, How's it going in there? Because it's not just hey, a Peggy, regular process. <laughs> right. Where are we at? <laughs> all right. That's all right. On that note, we will leave the actual, la- we'll leave the metaphorical ladies room on the story about the actual ladies room. all right ciao all right see you next time thanks for joining us be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies room you can also find lynn at a spacious life on facebook instagram and in clubhouse and find Allie at five billion entrepreneurs on linkedin and instagram Mm -hmm.